0: Before I share the word today, I want to commend a message to you, and I I do that from time to time, but uh, many of you know and love Bill Johnson, Bethel Church out in California, probably uh, among my favorite teachers of all time, teachers of the word. The man is so rich in the way he brings out the word. I don't think there's, there are very few people I take as many notes when they preach as when I listen to Bill Johnson. He stretches my understanding of the word because he's been living in it. He loves the written word and he loves the living word so intensely and um, so a couple of weeks ago, his wife, Benny, um, died of cancer. There are a church that has seen the miraculous. They, there are people that moved to Redding, California to be a part of their church because there's such a grace for healing in that house that people literally move their entire lives there to be, hope that God will, will heal them. And they've seen all of that and, and here, his wife, who's not that old, died of cancer, who's their lead intercessor and really amazing ministry of her own. And, um, you know, there are things that could be said about grief and mourning. There are things that could be said about the, the unknowns, the confusion, you know, why God or why not God, all the questions that come up in moments of grief and agony like that. But this man got up to the pulpit of his church and preached one for the ages, the Sunday after his wife died. And I exhort you to listen to it and keep it somewhere that you could pull it out when you need it the most. Because there's an authority that comes when you've walked through the valley of the shadow of death with the Lord, with the good shepherd. On the other side of it, you have some things to share with people who got stuck in that valley. We've been talking about that last couple of weeks. There are some some things you have from a place of authority because you've been there with Jesus. And this is one of those messages. So I urge you, it's called... um, uh, breaking the bread of my soul, which I don't think he called it that. One of the sound guys named it. He just came that Sunday. He, he preached one message, and I'm telling you, it, it's, it's made my top five that I will pull out every time I need to be reminded, and here's the, 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 the line of it. I mean, there's so many. I mean, he's like listening to the book of Proverbs sometimes, but an incident like this, he said, I've seen too much of the goodness of God to doubt his faithfulness. I've experienced too much of how good he is and how loving he is and how generous of spirit he is to doubt him now, even though I just lost the love of my life. So i um, almost, I mean, I could just hit play and forget what I have to share today. Um, but I'll, I'll still share some things with you because we do, we, we have several of us here at Hillside and several that follow us online that have been walking through some real difficult circumstances and, and the word that just keeps welling up on the inside of me and I don't, I, I'll preach short today. I'll make it a, a two-part today because this is worth soaking into that I believe the Lord wants to use every bit of it, that there's not an experience that we have in God that's wasted whether it was a joyful exuberant God came through answered my prayer exceedingly abundantly more than I even asked or imagined whether it's those testimonies or whether it's when everything fell apart I was pressed but I wasn't crushed I was persecuted I was not abandoned I was perplexed but I wasn't in despair I was crushed down and I wasn't destroyed that somehow God's able to make all of those things and bring them all together and make something absolutely glorious not just for us how many of you have learned already that in Christ it's never about us anymore? If something happens in our lives, something happens to us, the question's not why is this happening to me? The question is for whom is this happening to me? Because what the enemy intended for evil is gonna give me something that I'm gonna share with somebody else that will pull him out of some pit or help them walk through some valley or dark, scary place that I've walked through and I can testify, yeah, that was horrible. I would have wished it on my worst enemy, but he's faithful and he's good and he never once let me walk alone. There are things that are called the the hidden treasures of darkness, the proverb calls them. There are things that you can only learn. I was just sharing uh, with a friend this morning about a season in my own life that I went through where it just seemed like my close, everybody that I normally would depend on to be a source of encouragement, a source of inspiration, a source of, hey, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Like uh, I was going through this intense season where I, uh, I, mean, I thought everything was going to fall apart, and, and not a, there was almost no voice of encouragement to be found. Even my wife during this season was so under it. She's normally a really strong woman and she was under it too and I felt like I walked all by myself through this season. Anybody else ever feel that way? I came to see afterward and I understood something looking back on it. During the time, there were moments I had to fight down the offense of where, where are they right now? Where are all my friends? I've been there for them. Why aren't they saying anything to me right now? And, and the Lord, through a couple of different voices, including my own, showed me about how he, he pushed that back on purpose so I would learn how to press into him instead of substitutes for him, even friends, even those that, yeah, of course we should be able to lean on each other. Of course we should trust one another. Of course there ought to be companions who make their presence known when everything falls apart. But how many of you know that there's some things that God says, no, I need you to learn how to come to me about this thing because Although I'll use people, I'll use voices, there's nothing like the presence of the Lord. There's nothing like actually experiencing Jesus in the middle of the valley of sorrows that even a good Christian friend can replace. And so I want to share some treasures out of seasons like that, some things out of the word. And I'd like to to use the anointing oil that was used To anoint the priests and the tabernacle and all the furnishings of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. I want to share with you the recipe for our own anointing. When we use that word in the New Covenant community, we tend to think of the anointing as, well, God just pours out his spirit like on the day of Pentecost. And it's all a sovereign thing that God does. That God's a sort of, you know, he, he puts it on us, and because we've said, yeah, we'd like it, and he gives it to us. But I want to share with you how there's a partnership, even in the anointing, just like there is everything else in life. There's almost nothing that happens. After the cross, Jesus said it's finished, which by, by saying that, he meant nobody needs to do another thing to make a way to enter into paradise. That all of the, the, the fight against death, the fight against the forces of darkness, all of the actual things that none of us in our own strength ever could have overcome, it's finished. Our own willpower to overcome sin, all of those things. That's when Jesus said it is finished. That's what he meant. On the cross, there's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing we could do that'll make him love us more. There's nothing we can do that'll ever make him love us less. Nothing that we could do will ever change that. But when it comes to life after that day that we said, yes, you're my Lord. Yes, you are my master. Yes, you are my king. Yes, you are the great lover of my soul and my life is yours, my future is yours. Everything about me belongs to you from this day forward and for the rest of my life. Everything after that comes by virtue of our partnership with him. I I don't know I, I can't share the chapter and verse on it, but there's a difference between getting saved and getting good and saved. I heard a preacher use the expression before, and I thought that that works because saved means hey, I got my ticket for the bus. I'm in. I got eternal life, I'm like the thief on the cross. I got paradise waiting for me on the other side. And, and how many of you know we can live the rest of our lives with that? I got two tickets to paradise, sorry that song. I should not have said that, but it's in my head right now. I got my ticket to paradise and that's all I got. I'm not packing my bags and leaving tonight, I got it. And we can live the rest of our days that way. How many of you know that that is the road to a lukewarm dead church that has absolutely zero impact? On the world, and we shouldn't wonder why it feels like all hell keeps breaking loose if we adopt that mindset. But then there's another way that's called good and saved, where it says, Okay, I'm in the kingdom. Now, how do we partner to expand the kingdom all around me? into the lives of those that you place in front of me, into the community in which I live, into the place in which I work, into the family in which I dwell. How do I take what's in me now, this new life, how do we partner together from the day that we begin our walk with the Lord until the day he calls us home or returns himself as a partnership? And that includes our anointing, which simply means the, the grace of God on the inside. The anointing, you know, it's, it's one of those words you can almost tell what circle of church you're from by how free you are to use that word. <laughs> Can I meddle a little bit? Is that right? You know, if you're around, I, I got friends in every denomination, okay? Include Catholic, Episcopalian, Lutheran. I got friends, and I do believe friends. I mean, like, I love them. Like, don't speak ill of them in front of me. I love them. And we just disagree on a few things about the Bible. And you could tell... Um, if you use the word anointing freely, you tend to be more toward the Pentecostal, Pentecostal charismatic end of it, maybe an, an evangelical that's toward that end of it, but you know, if you're a Southern Baptist, you don't usually use the word anointing. I'm sorry, maybe you just needed to come out of some of that like I did. To, to, it's one of those words that's just taken on meanings and taken on implications that I believe are just inaccurate. Christ in us, is the hope of glory, right? Christ in us. The word Christ literally means the anointed one. What we have on the inside of us is the anointing. We each carry the anointed one, and therefore we carry an anointing Just like Christ in us needs to be cultivated, just like discipleship we call it, fruits of the spirit come from this, just like we co-labor with Christ in the building up of our lives so that we better reflect being made in the image and the likeness of God. You know there's a distinction, right? We're all in the image of God, saint and sinner alike, we're made in the image of God, but we're just not all like him. Being remade into the likeness of God means our behavior starts catching up with what Christ did on the inside and that's what we call discipleship or growing up in the faith. And so we have these things but the anointing on the inside of us simply means that we have whatever Jesus would do if he were walking in the flesh and the earth, he's now commissioned us to do. He's commissioned us to be that. How do we grow in that anointing? By walking with him. There are some things that come about because God just says, in the moment, I need somebody to touch this life right here. And a newborn babe, the day after they're born again, is able to do anything that Jesus did fact Jesus told his apostles you will do even greater things than the things I did because I'm going to the father and then he said when I go to the father I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and that's going to be even better than having me in the flesh one of the most amazing promises in all of that um, thing that Jesus said to his apostles in the last supper John 13 through 17 was that it's better for you that I go away because if I go away if I go to the father then I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that's powerful so this anointing we have it we all got at the day we were born again God can use any one of us at any time to minister in any way that Jesus could but there is something that happens when we walk closely with him when we grow in his word when we grow in our intimacy with him when we co-labor with Christ keep him with us through all the seasons of life that increases the anointing on the inside of us there's a maturity to the anointing and then there's a newborn babe kind of anointing And I want to share with you what the recipe is today, next week, maybe the week after. We'll see however long it takes. The recipe for how God weaves life together in such a way that not a single thing that happens in our lives is wasted. All of it increases our anointing and all of the fruits of the season we've just been through. I believe this is a timing wise. I believe this is something of a word for many of us. There are things that many of us have been through in this last season. I mean, heck, the whole world's been through it. nation's been through it. All of the things that the enemy intended for evil during that season, God's gonna now use in this season to increase the manifestation of the anointed one. Our ministry of salvation, our ministry of healing, our ministry of just making the world plain old a better place to live. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe we're stepping into some of the best days the church has ever experienced. And if you've studied any church history, you know that's saying something. So let me just read for you the um, I want I'll just kind of introduce it today and then and then we'll go because I'm getting hot and I can see your foreheads glistening and I, I, I'm sensitive to that and I, I don't believe my voice is the most important one. God's already ministered pretty powerfully here today so that might be all that we needed to be here for and that's fine. But the the tabernacle, the Old Testament, you know, you'll ask what's the point of the Old Testament for a New Testament believer? What's the point of the tabernacle and the temple, the priesthood, all of these things? It's all fulfilled in Christ. So what's the point of taking a look at it? Well, Jesus said that not so much as a stroke of the pen, a jot or tittle in the Hebrew written language will disappear. Heaven and earth might pass away, but none of that will. There are things on every single page of your old covenant scriptures that point to Jesus. Not a detail doesn't point to Christ, his church, the kingdom of heaven and the earth. Every single chapter and verse in some way or another points ahead. We call them shadows, as in foreshadowing, or types. They're patterns. They're things that we learn in the Old Testament that pertain to life in the New Testament. They just didn't understand it because they didn't have Holy Spirit in them. So the temple or the tabernacle, as it was given to Moses, is the dwelling place. He said, I'm going to cause my presence to dwell in the midst of my people. So when we use the word tabernacle, the word simply means a tent or a dwelling place. It just means that's where God lives, That's the place where God lives. For his old covenant community, by their own request, God confined himself to a tabernacle. So he lived inside a box, the Ark of the Covenant. He lived in the tabernacle in the middle of all the tribes that camped all around him which amazingly as somebody pointed out by the numbers of the tribes was in the shape of a cross with the tabernacle right in the middle of it it's astounding all of how literally everything even the the size of the tribes and where they camped pointed ahead to Christ in the middle he said I will dwell among my people I'll live in the midst well I think you're all new covenant enough to know where's the tabernacle of God now It's in us, we're the tabernacle. So every board, every metal substance, every color of the cloth, all the way through the tabernacle first points to Jesus. It originates in heavenly places. Hebrews says that Moses built that based on a pattern of the heavenly tabernacle, which is where God lives. Then there was the earthly tabernacle, all pointing ahead to us. Every single thing describing the tabernacle points to the new covenant community. So that's just an overview. I don't want to, I'm not gonna do a full-blown teaching on the tabernacle, though you could go to any page and learn something about Jesus or Christ in you by looking at it. But I do wanna talk about this anointing oil because the name Jesus Christ means the anointed deliverer. And so Christ in us is worth understanding. So let's look at the ingredients of the anointing oil, and I wanna show you how we work together with the master apothecary to bring an anointing that's both The same because it's the same Christ in each one of us and yet completely individually unique based on the vessel that gets filled with that anointing. So this is Exodus 30 and I'll start at verse 22. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take also for yourself the finest of spices, of flowing myrrh, 500 shekels, of fragrant cinnamon, half as much, 250 of them; and of fragrant cane, 250, and of cassia, 500, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Um, What happened there? I don't have it memorized. Can you... um can you get that up for me? All right. Um, and of Cassia 500, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil, a hen. So I don't remember. That's like eight quarts or something like that. It's a lot. A lot of oil, a lot of spices that go into it. And you shall make of these a holy anointing oil, a perfume mixture, the work of a perfumer. It shall, um, it shall be a holy anointing oil, and with it, you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table, the utensils, the lampstands, the utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, all its utensils and the laver in its stand. Um, and that's, that's everything in the tabernacle. You shall also consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them shall be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister as priests to me. So the first role of the anointing, the first reason for carrying Christ in us, for carrying anything that was made in heavenly places is to minister to the Lord. The first and most important ministry that we have is our ministry to the Lord. In fact, we could stop right there and just say that until we've learned how to cultivate our intimacy in the secret place where the only reason why we're worshiping is because we wanna bless the Lord. Because we know that that kind of interaction pleases Him, ministers to Him. Yeah, how many even you know? There's a lot of different reasons why people are a part of a church. All right, number one, two, three answers are usually: I like the worship, I like the preaching, I like the ministries they offer my family. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I'm saying every family of God should be alive enough to God to offer all of those things. And we should be doing all of those things together. But if we are, in fact, the priests of the Lord, the first most important revelation we need to carry is that my worship is not about me. So it's funny, in conversations, you could tell what age group somebody is from by what kind of music is the most holy kind of music what kind of songs we wish we would sing more of. And in a congregation like ours, which is a mixed multitude, you know, we have people that are older than me. We have a lot lot of people younger than me. We have, you know, everything. We got kids and, and for some, hey man, that song's like, three months old that's an, that's an oldie it's past you know it's past its expiration day. we need the new thing i heard some new songs you know maverick city's got this new one we got to be singing that one right now and there's some that are on that extreme then there's some that, why don't we sing more hymns which by the way i agree with hymns well we got to be singing more hymns they're classics they're old songs we got to be singing that then you could tell in the lifetime of a saint what songs were really popular the season that they either got born again or came into the fullness of the spirit because those are the best songs for worship you know and it's these are fun conversations and why worship pastors need all the prayer we got to offer because they hear all this all the requests like you know request hour I wanna propose that all of those are equally religious and all of those can lead to, to complete deadness. If we think that the purpose of worship is to please ourselves, and the purpose of gathering together with Jesus is that he'll minister to us, then we're missing out on so much more that heaven has for us. We're missing out on so much that the Lord wants to give us and wants to give a world around us. Our first ministry is our ministry to the Lord. I remember we were in a prayer meeting one time at Christ Community Church, it was a season of fasting and prayer, and I was praying, and uh, I was starting to nod off while I was praying, anybody ever do that? Come on, don't don't tell me, all of you who took like the 3 a.m. shift, 2 a.m. shift, don't tell me that wasn't happening in there. I remember thinking, wow, I'm with Jesus right now and I'm bored, something wrong with that. And then I had another thought that came after that one that said, Jesus, are you bored too? Am I boring you right now with my yawns? Is my, has my prayer life, has my devotion to you become boring? Because if so, man, I, I don't want to be locked into a, a boring relationship with God any more than we'd want to be locked into a boring marriage, a boring friendship. How often, How long do you stay with a friendship when it becomes boring, when there's no life in it, and, and I began to realize, oh my goodness, when was the last time I thought, Jesus, what would what you like right now? What is it that you're seeking after? right now. I'm always coming to you with my requests and it's not like God gets tired of them. it's not like he runs out of grace, it's not like he runs out of stuff to answer those prayers, but, but what if our prayer life began to change? What if our life of worship began to change and turn around to Lord, what would move your heart right now? What would make your day right now? What would make you glad that I came to visit with you today? Now we're beginning to get the full revelation of what it means to be a priest. Because the purpose of a priest, and we are all, right, we're a royal priesthood. All of us are priests. There's no intermediary between a Christian and God. That's the entire point of the new covenant. No more go-betweens. Straight access through the veil that was torn right to the mercy seat for everybody. Everybody's a priest now. Everybody in the pool. That's the new covenant. We're all in. So what if we began to live and minister as those who have direct access? What would it be if, for instance, all of us came and joined together on a Sunday morning, which I know many of us do, not with the thought, I wonder what I'm going to get out of service today, but with the thought, I wonder how I can contribute to make God glad that we showed up at his house today, to make Daddy glad that that the family got together this morning. What can I bring? You all do, um, when your family comes together, do you do like, we call them potluck meals. That phrase is forbidden in my house. We don't do luck when it comes to food. I'm not, I'm not in the mood for luck. I want to know. I have a friend that will not eat. We call them covered dishes here, which is just as sus. I mean, why, why you got to cover it? Keep it warm or right? we will go with that. But, you know, shared meal where everybody brings a portion to the meal. You know, when your kids grow and they learn how to cook on their own, it's kind of fun to when they show up. And, you know, I got a son who's a cook at Olive Garden now. I love it when he brings food. Boy knows how to cook now. I'm like, where were you when you lived in the house with these skills? But anyway, that's the. But now, you know, and, and we bring things. And how much more pleasant it is for the Father in heaven when all of his children gather together saying, hey, I've got something to bring right now. I've come to bring my own offering. I mean, it was a law in the Old Testament that you were not allowed to appear before the Lord empty-handed. Now, I know a lot of people will use that as an arm-twisting way of getting more giving in the offerings, but we're not talking about money alone. We're talking about our lives. When we gather with the Lord as priests to minister to the Lord, what are we bringing? Maybe it's a word to encourage somebody who's in the gathering. Maybe it's a skill that we have to offer. Maybe it's, hey, I could sit with a baby at a table, and, and man, I, that whole thing of ministering to babies is new to me. But I'll try it. I can see myself getting eye to eye with a baby. They're adorable. I love babies. I like holding babies. I like being around babies. I, I, I now, after raising six kids, I'm glad to hand them back when, when the day is done. You know, for the overnight shift. But you know, they're adorable. Maybe. I have a skill to offer where I can do that. Maybe that's what I'm bringing as my portion to it. Maybe I'm just so friendly that when people walk through that door, if I'm the first one they see, they're gonna think, man, this is the friendliest gathering of people I've ever been to in my life. Maybe it's, man, when they begin to sing, it feels like heaven invades the room. It feels like these people really know the Lord and they actually love being together with Jesus. And so you're ministering to the Lord, maybe even with the worship team on the platform. You get my point? There's a variety of ways, but I'm talking about a mindset. I'm talking about adopting the mindset of a priest, which doesn't say, Lord, I've come to get something from you, but Lord, I've come to make an offering out of my life. Of the abundance of what you've given me, I'm now offering something back to you. So we're anointed because we have Christ, the anointed one in us, and that makes our anointing an internal one. That means that our anointing It's not like the priests of old where they had to pour the anointing on top of them. And even the law of Moses said it shouldn't be poured on flesh. It's only gonna be poured on the robes. How many of you are clothed with Christ today? Only like two or three of you. Do you need me to back up? Clothed with Christ today. You're clothed with the anointed garments. But we have something better than what the priests of old has and I'm gonna leave it here because the priests of old had anointing poured on them. and when you see all those spices in that that I just read to you, imagine a horn of oil being poured, I mean a ram's horn of oil being poured out on that priest soaking into the garments. There's another word about generational blessing because each new high priest would inherit those garments and another horn of oil got poured on it. Can you imagine what those smelled like? May you smell the high priest from a half a mile away. I'll talk about the fragrance next week the aroma of Christ that comes out when we take our anointing seriously. My word, my word today, and I'll just close with this, is that when the priests were anointed, all right, and it was Aaron and his four sons that were initially anointed as priests, and then generations to follow would each receive an anointing and have to carry it on their own. When when Aaron died, his firstborn son would have to take his place in leading the people. We are just like that, all of us responsible uh, to be good stewards of the anointing that we've been given and carry it. When when the anointing came on that priest, his entire identity changed. Aaron was Moses' spokesman before that. Aaron, (laughs) what an amazing testimony of grace. Because while Moses was up on top of the mountain getting all this instruction from the Lord, do you remember what Aaron was doing down below with all the people? He was making an idol. The high priest was making a golden calf while God was saying, hey, I'm gonna anoint him and if he makes an offering, people's sins are wiped out. All at the same time that he's making a golden calf. That doesn't strike you quite like it struck me. Uh, I was, if I was God, I'd be, like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Let's try someone else. I know I said Aaron, but maybe her, you know, I don't know. When the anointing came on Aaron, his entire identity was now wrapped up in his ministry to the Lord. Everything about his life would change from that moment onward. He was given over to serve the Lord. So after he ministered to the Lord, the second ministry of a priest was to minister to the people to offer sacrifices for them. The priests were the ones who would know the law of God, know the word of God. The priests were the ones you could go to the priest when you needed access to God. Does that, does that sound like anyone's call in this room? Do you have people in your life that right now have no access to God, that really need access to God right now? whether it's somebody who's just completely lost and pagan and and all of their thinking or a prodigal who's gone really, wandered far from home. Anybody else have somebody who's so distant right now they forgot how real God is? Welcome to your ministry as priest take that anointing and be prepared to really steward it well. And I'll share in the next week uh, or two a little bit more about what it is on the inside of us that's getting cultivated because I think some of us are going to begin to see how the events of our lives have been shaping something in us that we didn't even know that God was going to use for the ministry that lies ahead. Can we stand to our feet? if you don't mind, would you put your hands over your your heart or your head, whatever you're comfortable with? Because when an anointing was given, it was poured out over the head of the high priest, and it went down his hair and his beard and all the way down to the hem of his garments. And we're asking you, Jesus, to anoint us fresh, but just as importantly, to remind us of the anointing of Christ who dwells on the inside of us. Lord, I pray that you'd awaken us to the reality of the fact that we already carry the anointing inside of us. If it was powerful enough for one high priest to make a sacrifice that would forgive the sins of a nation, how much more Christ in us, the hope of glory, is powerful to minister salvation and healing and deliverance to those that are around us. I pray that you'd awaken us to the importance of who we are, and our ministry as priests. That you'd put us in remembrance when we're interacting with those around us who do not have access to the throne of grace like we do. That we'd awaken them to the reality of what this anointed one on the inside longs to do on the inside of them too. Awaken us to our ministry. I pray we'd never be those who just go around forgetting the fact that we have an anointing from the Holy One. Amen.